You're listening to episode 269A of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're sharing more of Jimmy's conversation with Father Nathan Castle. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, Jimmy, last Friday, we released an episode featuring your conversation with Father Nathan Castle of the Dominican Order. What should we know about today's very short episode? Father Castle has a ministry to souls in purgatory. He described it to us in last Friday's episode, and we're going to be going into analysis mode to look at it from the faith and reason perspectives this Friday. During my conversation with Father Castle, there was a segment where we had a brief side discussion that didn't deal directly with his ministry to souls. Last Friday's episode was rather lengthy, but I thought that a side discussion was really interesting and I didn't want to lose it. So I decided to split the side discussion off into a mini episode that we could release between the two main episodes. And without further ado, here's the side discussion that we had. One thing that we haven't talked about, you know, you're, you're, because your audience in, includes a lot of Roman Catholics, uh, they might mm-hmm. be aware and alert to the fact that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is in a three-year process of um, emphasizing the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the Eucharistic mm-hmm. Bible. Because a few years ago, I think it was a CARA study, there was some sort of study of American Catholics that revealed that only like one-third believed in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And with, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And it's it's it, the study was badly designed. The questions were phrased the wrong way that made it confusing, which is the correct answer. Well, for whatever reason. But but cer- certainly not enough, not enough people are aware of the church's teaching. Well, it rocked the USCCD enough that they decided to do a three-year process and put lots of money and resources toward it to emphasize the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Well, I'll tell you what. If uh, if they if they wanted advice from me, not that they do necessarily, <laughs> but if they did, I would say, guys, the next thing might be, will you survive your death? Because a lot of people that are at mass every Sunday uh, are not at all convinced of that. Um, I, I do a lot of uh, parish missions. And, and again, maybe your audience would know what a parish mission is. The guy comes in for a couple of the weekend and does all the masses and does sort of an infomercial to to kind of coax you into coming on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday to a, a sequential thing. Uh, and so the people that are most apt to do that are the people that are most apt to go to church on Monday, a Tuesday and a Wednesday. A lot of people are not going to do that, but some do. So you're kind of drawing from a subset of very active uh, practicing Catholics. And, and what I will do often is once I've got them all together, I have them like, I prefer to be in a church hall than in a church because we have church manners that make us be a little quieter and more polite than we might be in the hall. So I prefer to be in the hall if I can, if, if they'll allow it. But I'll have them put their heads on their desk for like they were in kindergarten and say, no peeking. Now, here's what we're going to do. I want to, I want you to tell the truth to yourself. Do you believe that you will be you after you die? Well. They won't leave it alone. We have to fight about it for a couple or three minutes to define what that means. Uh, And I'll say, will you be able to say, boy, that cancer was awful. I'm glad that's over. I never saw that bus coming. You know, will you be able to describe your death? Will you be with people you love if you want to be? Will you be you? Will you have your memories? However you want to define it, survival of consciousness. 
well, once we get that clear clarified, I'll say you're, I'm going to go from 10 to one. And when I get to the right number, raise your hand. You're going to raise your hand only once when I hit the right number. So if you always believe that you will survive your death, it just is never crosses your mind. Otherwise, I want you to raise your hand now because you're a 10. But I won't let anybody look. It's nobody's business. About a quarter of the room will be 10s and hardly ever the pastor or the DRE or whoever hired me. I'll say, thank you, 10s. Put your hands down now. Does anybody think they might be a nine on this scale? And then more hands will go up. And that's when the pastor or the hiring agent's hand goes up. And when I've asked, they've said, well, you know, God's inscrutable. And I want to be as confident as I can be, but I need to leave a little wriggle room. (laughs) I've I've heard that. And then by the time I get down to seven, about maybe maybe 40% of the room has raised their hand. Six, now we're at about 70% of the room or 80. And then you get all the way down to three or two. And the woman who has the key to the tabernacle, who came early to start the coffee, is a two. I've seen it over and over again. There's some very devout person or a few persons for whom it just seems too good to be true or for whatever reason, they're very low on that scale. And I just feel like I I want to be a joyful friar for the rest of my life, proclaiming the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead, and so will you be. And that's why I'm doing this. It can make an awful lot of difference how we live if we know that we're not uh, subject to a sort of beat the clock. You don't have to have a clean desk on the day you die. <laughs> you I'm pretty a, sure I won't. Well, me neither. I've, I've got a messy desk. Yeah, well, uh, good for you. That must mean you have a lot of interests. Uh, or you're just a slob, one of the two, but I'm going to go with could be both. Well, maybe Uh, (laughs) I I just think you're a pretty interesting man. Uh, And you probably have a desk that reflects that. But anyway, I just think if people had an idea that, um, that it really is true and that it's not just whistling past the graveyard, that it really is true when you're at a funeral, that the person that we love uh, knows that we're praying for them, maybe is even present because uh, sometimes people choose to go to their funerals. Other times they don't want to. Um, like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. I don't remember that story. Did, was there oh, a- yeah. They, they they go to their own funeral in, in Tom Sawyer. Okay. Well, I've experienced that a lot. Very often as a priest, you don't even know the deceased until the you get the phone call. And somebody now needs a funeral and you never met the guy. But I, I start praying for them. And when I visit the casket, I introduce myself and say, you know, I know that that your body died, but the rest of you is still around. If you want to be at the, in the back of the room or something, I'm going to try to do my best to help your loved ones uh, give you a proper send off. You know, it's, I, I was taught to do this stuff when I was a child, that it didn't come as some freaky thing that happened later in life. It was just that there, we, God loves everybody and God is everywhere. And some people are alive on the earth and some people have already died and are alive in heaven or purgatory or somewhere. And God's everywhere, so it doesn't really matter where they are because God will be with them. 